Welcome back to Bird's Eye View. When it comes to the Orioles, this weekly podcast is your official source for a lack of insight and for baseless opinions. Yes, my friends, welcome back to the show that 72.8% of Birdland does not prefer. Today is March 16th, 2021, and this is episode 311. My name is Jake English. And I am Scott Mag- Magnus, all mixed up and don't know what to do. And <laughs> this week's show, we'll look ahead to possibly a much more normal baseball season. And we'll also try to identify the next round of greatness. And we'll do all that right after we lubricate the show. That's right. It's time for the drink of the week. Scott Magnus, what are you on about this week? Uh, I am drinking a solar-powered ale, I guess it is. It's from um, Big Oyster Brewery, Uh, kind of a a blue moon uh, knockoff, as it were. So, Definitely kind of getting that springtime vibe, as it were, for beers. How about yourself? I am drinking a Perpetual IPA by Troves. This is one of my all-time favorite beers. I know I'm continually uh, lavishing praise upon uh, Snake Dog by Flying Dog and also, of course, uh, my Loose Cannon. But uh, Perpetual by Troves, if you're into that kind of thing, is absolutely worth it. And, uh, you know, Scott, we... We haven't had the opportunity to do this uh, very recently, but I think it's time we head on over to the medical wing. Time for your checkup, time for your checkup. I'm going to check your ears, check your eyes, find out how much you've grown. Time for your checkup. Going to listen to your heartbeat, fix you up, ready to go. Time for your checkup. <laughs> it's okay if you giggle. You know, Scotty, before this past week, the medical wing may have been a little boring, but there is a lot going on right now. The medical wing is is teeming with activity. Let's take something that just happened today. Felix Hernandez uh, removed from Tuesday's game with a right elbow's worth of discomfort. What do you make of that? Um, I mean, are we really super surprised here? Um, I mean, I, I'm not super surprised here. Um, it, it is what it is, is the best way to put it. Um, I, I don't really, I kept looking at Felix Hernandez and I kept on saying, um, you know, velocity's down, um, obviously, you know, getting up there in age, it's a nice story, but in reality, it, it's probably not going to happen. <laughs> so do you think that this is going to be a significant injury and this is going to be the thing that keeps him from appearing with the Orioles this year? I mean, he's on a minor league contract, so like he has to have a, a great spring training um, to basically force the Orioles to pay him money. Um, so, I mean, there's a possibility that Felix Hernandez comes back at some point this season, but he certainly isn't going to start the season this way. Um, uh, I, I'm willing to basically say uh, the Felix Hernandez experiment is probably coming to an end. Is that a career for Felix Hernandez, or do you think that he'll try to catch on with another team next year and do this all over again? I want to say it's probably a career for him, but I could easily say him saying, I want to continue to play to try to establish myself as a Hall of Fame pitcher. 
You know, the fine gentleman at the Artificial Turf Wars podcast asked me this question when I appeared on their show recently, whether or not I was excited about uh, Felix Hernandez, and I gave a, rem- a resounding meh. Uh, did you have any feelings one way or the other? Were you, you know, looking forward to the possibilities? Was it in any way interesting? Or was this a gimmick from a bygone era of Orioles baseball? This seems like something that, you know, it's an easy thing to do just to basically bring him on a minor league deal and see if you can make magic happen. But I don't know, like, to me, it's not that big of a deal. And you just kind of cut your losses and move on. So um, it would have been a great story if it happens. But I mean, the likelihood that it was going to happen is, is slim to none. <laughs> Fair enough. All right. Well, you said it would be a great story. Tell me another great story about Hunter Harvey. Yeah. So uh, Hunter Harvey, uh, again, down with a oblique. Did you want to sing this? or do you No, sing? no okay. I absolutely did not. In uh, fact, most of Birdland joins me in that desire. Goes to the 60-day DDL, um, return in May slash June. I mean, this has been Hunter Harvey's entire career is kind of going down with these, you know, big injuries, we'll call it. Not just, you know, tweak injuries here or there. Uh, and Hunter Harvey can't seem to get healthy. So, you know, at this point, um, you know, it, it it's starting to rack up against Hunter Harvey. Um, and it's going to be a really a question of, like, what role does Hunter Harvey play for the organization going forward? Um, because he doesn't seem to be dependable enough um, for the Orioles to kind of, um, you know, make any inroads with him at this point. Well, he's certainly not going to be the barber. At, at this point, I think I saw online today that uh, Hunter Harvey has spent more time on the DL, or I'm sorry, on the injured list, uh, than he has active with the Warriors. That sounds for right to career. me. I mean, I mean, it's it's brief flashes, and you're just like, wow, if he could stay healthy, that would be really impressive. But I, I feel like we haven't seen a long enough sample size for Hunter Harvey to make anything of him, um, besides just injury-ridden. So it's a shame. Um, but again, you just kind of move on and, you know, you look at other Orioles prospects that you have in the organization and you just chalk it up to, um, another failed Orioles prospect, um, in the pitching ranks. (laughs) Yeah. He just can't seem to get into the flow. All right. Uh, next let's talk about Chris Davis. Chris Davis has a lower back strain and, you know, maybe it's real. Maybe it's in a Baldo Jimenez pothole. But it went from being, oh, look at it from day to day, where we're looking at Chris Davis, and you got to wonder, you know, is he going to hit the IL and spend the initial part of the season, you know, dressed in sweat so that other guys can play first base? Yeah, I mean, um, he definitely, you know, I think it's one of those things of, you know, the Orioles don't want to see him out there. <laughs> um, and I, I gets to the point of it's just awkward is the best way to do it. It's, it's just really awkward. And it's the question of, you know, is Chris Davis really going to take up a roster spot um, and not play? Um, so I, I think the Orioles are in essence saying, we don't really need to see any more of you, Chris. We kind of know the performance that you're going to put out there. Um, we'd rather see some other players out there and get them some additional reps. Um, and, and in essence, Chris Davis is this mascot of the, the, the Dan Duquette era um, and even the Peter Angelos era. Um, of just kind of albatross um, sitting on on all of our necks. Woof. Woof. All right, here's another player, Scott, that I'm not sure that I would enjoy uh, sitting on this. DJ Stewart. DJ Stewart out with a hamstring. Originally, he was supposed to be back at some point this week. Now they're saying maybe this weekend-ish. 
I'm less concerned about this than, say, Chris Davis' lower back strain. What about you? Yeah, I'm not concerned about this, really. I think this is just them being precautious um, in, in spring training and not rushing it along. You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, we talked about DJ Stewart at the, you know, halfway point of last season, which was August. Um, and we said, you know, I really don't want to see DJ Stewart anymore. And now <laughs> people are clamoring that they want to see more DJ Stewart. And people look at this injury as it waits for the hamstring and like, okay, but I want to see how DJ Stewart's going to do. And, you know, is it going to replicate what we saw in September going into this season? I- I'm still not sold on DJ Stewart. I still don't think he's a great player. Um, I think he had a great end of the season last year. Um, but I I think the Orioles are just being overly cautious here. I certainly have no question that he's going to break with the team and come home north um, to play for the Orioles on opening day. Sure. And here's a guy who, who may be uh, down with an injury of just plain being forgotten. I forgot that Richie Martin was, was an Oriole and was on the injured list with some sort of hand industry or industry injury. The thing about Richie Martin is that he continues to get buried in the depth chart uh, by moves that we'll talk about later. Uh, as well as just additions over the last several months to the roster. Yeah, and I mean, if we we look at this, when he came out when he had this injury, we really weren't that concerned because it's like, all right, it's Richie Martin. He's got options available. Um, you know, if he comes on the team, he's probably going to be serving as a utility man, uh, utility infielder. Um, and, and we look at that Hammett bone, and it is one of those situations where you know it's generally not so concerning to me because. You know, that Hannah Bone is typically linked back to power numbers, and, and Richie Martin doesn't really have that aspect of the power. Um, as much as his mother wants to have him say, he bangs, he bangs, oh, baby, no, no, we're not going to go that far. Um, but, yeah, Richie, Richie Martin, uh, he'll be back in camp. He'll take some reps. Ultimately, though, I see Richie Martin, you know, starting in AAA um, whenever spring training starts for them and whenever, you know, that their game start in May um, at this given time. So, um, yeah, it'd be, I guess it's, it's a note, but it's not a that big of a deal to me. I think the biggest one out of all of this is looking at DJ Stewart, making sure that it doesn't, you know, continually push him out further and further into spring training. We've seen the Orioles do that before. And then just feeling out what's going to go on with Felix Hernandez. Is it, you know, the end of that career or is it, you know, in essence, um, something that is a little overblown and they were just take, being a little precautious with it. So those are the two names I'd be following for the next week or two. Man, a, a packed medical wing. We haven't even sniffed the season yet, so we'll uh, we'll keep an eye on it. I think that uh, I think that leads us into uh, the next little bit of this silly show of ours, which is uh, Orioles baseball. Two hundred eighty characters at a time this week on the Twitters. Scott, I don't think we can go any further without addressing the elephant in the room. Yeah. Scotty will never be as cool as Jim Palmer. We already knew this. Like this isn't anything new. Um, yeah, but but I didn't. I don't know that we necessarily needed it. Our faces rubbed in it quite the way that it was. Uh, if you don't know what we're talking about, uh, the Twitter handle Mass and Orioles. No, not not that one. Mass and Orioles with a Z uh, was kind enough to include us on their. Um, their Orioles Twitter uh, March Madness style bracket, and you know we we uh, we had a heck of a poll there because we were put up in the uh, round of 32 against at Jim 22 Palmer, and 
Scott, do you have the results of that contest? I, I do. It was a, a lot uh, mm-hmm. to a little. Um, okay. okay. In, in yeah. terms of breaking out the percentages, it looks like if we're putting this into Orioles score, um, it looks like Jim uh, Jim Palmer scored 30 runs uh, and we scored mm-hmm. three runs. Okay. Now, tell me, next year, uh, when we get back into the tournament, assuming that, you know, just for old time's sake, we'll get placed in the same bracket uh, with Jim Palmer, what can we do differently? What, what can we do to win the affections of the 72.8% of Birdland that preferred Jim Palmer to us? Uh, so I think we need to win a few World Series. Uh, probably uh-huh. throw a no-hitter. We're going to have to model in our underwear. Actually, scratch that. We were told strictly do not model in your underwear. You were pushing a little too hard for that. I think I think it, it became painfully obvious that this was just an excuse for you. I, I, it definitely was an excuse for me. I wanted to you know, show off my summer physique um, that I've been preparing for all winter long. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think uh, in essence, um, it is pretty much impossible to knock off um, a Hall of Famer, a pitcher, a broadcaster, uh, an actor, and of course, a spokesperson. So uh, Jim Palmer, it is always an honor and a pleasure to lose uh, to someone as gracious and and humble as yourself. Here's the thing. Jim Palmer, despite being all those things that you just mentioned, is also a great Twitter follower. He, he is, absolutely. I mean, uh, when he joined, um, wasn't exactly sure how it was going to look, um, but he has definitely... Uh, he sparked the fire on occasion. So, yeah, he's a great Twitter follower. Um, not exactly how he sure ended up in our, our, our end of the bracket, but, uh, again, absolute pleasure to lose to um, an individual such as him. Are, are you saying a guy whose Twitter handle notes that he's a broadcaster maybe should have been in the, in the media bracket? I mean, maybe. But, again, we're, we're not going to judge here. We're going to, you know, take on the chin just like um, any kind of March Madness tournament. Uh, and lose in gracious style like the Rolling Stones always do to the Beatles in any March Madness bracket. <laughs> That's what I like to hear. That's what I like to hear. Okay, did anything else happen, maybe a little more Orioles and or baseball related this week? Yeah, I mean, if we're going to talk about Orioles, we've got to talk about Nelson Cruz, um, who treats at NC Boomstick 23. And obviously, uh, the Orioles are, you know, still dealing with him. Um, you know, he has now been playing with the team for about seven years now after that a great first season in uh, 2014. And the Orioles I mean, decided- after that $161 million seven year contract we gave him. Absolutely. So, again, he's been absolutely amazing ever since then. You know, he's kind of been a, a stalwart on the team, you know, leading it through this whole rebuild and continually go out there and demolish balls. Oh, wait, that is my my fake imagination talking. Um but anyway, Nelson Cruz, you know, in this given spring training, he's also preparing just like Jim Palmer is in terms of tweeting back at folks. Um, and one Orioles fan, Connor Newcomb, put out there um, in regards to a, a ball that Nelson Cruz hit um, against an Orioles reliever. I believe this might be Hunter Harvey. Um, it was this ball ended up being foul, but I think Nelson Cruz hit it approximately 650 feet. And Nelson Cruz responded back. I think it was actually 673 feet. Uh, Nelson Cruz gets it. Um, Nelson Cruz continues to kind of be that great guy. Look, um, I, at the end of 2014, there's no way in the world I thought that Nelson Cruz would kind of live up to, um, you know, the results that he has seen um, in these past, you know, six to seven years afterwards. Um, tip of the cap to him. He is doing some amazing things, is the best way to put it. We, we forgave the Orioles for not pursuing Nelson Cruz because we figured he didn't have much left in the tank 
seven years ago. Yeah. Good for that dude. All right, what else is happening? Um, well, well, Jake, um, this, this next one's tough. Um, so you're going to have to prepare yourself. This next one comes from the Orioles Twitter. Um, obviously, if you're not following him, you can follow him at Orioles. But congrats to Nick Marcakis on his retirement from baseball after an incredible 15-year career. Thank you for the memories, the hustle, and your countless contribu- contributions to the organization. Best of luck in your next chapter, Nick. Jake, how old does this make you feel? Very, very, very old. I mean, the 2014 season, as I just indicated, was seven years ago. Uh, this is uh, this is a bummer. Uh, Nick Markakis was a lot of fun to watch. He's a player that I associate with the, the winning years, uh, when it was good to be an Orioles fan, but also the guy that bridged the gap between when it was not so good to be an Orioles fan to when it was. Um, a lot of fun to watch, and a guy that, you know, I was, I was just disappointed to see leave the Orioles, but once he did, you know, I was happy to see good things happen to him after the fact as well. Uh, yeah, it's a, it's a bummer to see a career like that end. And even more bummer, I think, to, to see that his career ended in the abbreviated uh, 2020 season. Because, you know, if you look at the stats that he's racked up, he's actually had himself quite a career. And with a full, you know, 162-game season in 2020, he could have just put a couple of extra exclamation points on, uh, and, uh, you know, all a very good career. Yeah, I mean, you're absolutely right. I mean, if you look back on it, just a lot of consistency in terms of each of those years. And, you know, I think back to Bridgeroli uh, posting stuff like ho-hum. You know, I think mm-hmm. that was the aspect when I think back to Nick Marcakis is, you know, he did a lot of things really well. Not maybe great, but really well. And um, again, that consistency played a huge role, even on really bad Orioles teams, where at least, you know, the top of the order um, was going to be okay with Marcakis. Um, and, and like I said, Nick Nick was a, he was a really interesting player combined with some of the other players that we'll talk about later in the show. But yeah, this is a tough one um, is the best way to describe it because it kind of um, further solidifies um, an end of an era, an end of a generation um, that we're familiar with from Orioles baseball. Yeah. Oof. All right. Uh, next, I want to talk about a tweet that Scott made me feel personally attacked. Um, you know, I, I thought that we had a pretty good relationship with Olivia Witherite, who, of course, tweets at Olivia Witherite. She's great to interact with on Twitter. She is a lover of puns, as are we. Uh, but she tweeted something this week, Scott, that has lived in my head rent-free uh, for too long. The tweet is as follows, in response to Dylan Bundy being named the opening day starter for the Los Angeles Angels, someone parodied, we didn't start the fire, but the lyrics are all former Orioles who went on to be great with new teams. Olivia, I don't have the time to think about this, yet I've been unable to think about anything since. This is the worst thing that you could do to I mean, uh, I think Paul Folkemer started you off well, Jake, if you ever want to come back to this. Um, just as a thought process, he goes, Gosman, Hader, Dylan B, Justin Turner, eventually, Arietta, Mike Yazzie. I mean, there's work to be done there, Jake, but um, 
I'm expecting it for, you know, a future podcast is the best way to describe it. So get to work on that. No, no, I refuse. And Olivia, how dare you? How dare you? All right. Well, the last tweet comes from Locked on Orioles. Um, and there's been a meme going around and I, I'm, I'm loving to see it. Um, so the meme is of the Domino Sugar sign that is, of course, iconic in Baltimore. Um, and it's currently being torn down and it's being replaced by LED from a from a cost saving standpoint and energy efficiency standpoint and probably a pretty nice tax break from the city and, and also state as well. Um, but the Lockdown Orioles came back and, you know, they posted on here, uh, Zach Burton, will I pitch in this wildcard game? Buck. And then it has the Domino Sugar sign just with the no remaining on the sign. Um, just a nice little ode and homage to Baltimore. Um, and picking a picking a little bit at uh, a really dark time in Orioles history. <laughs> I love everything about this tweet. This is this is like the perfect 2020 tweet. Do we have Justin Fenton to thank for this meme? I don't think so, um, but I, I don't know that in, in its entirety. His his uh, tweet is where I found it, so I, I'm going to blame slash thank him for it. Uh, you know, inappropriately and recklessly. Like you do, like we always do. Inappropriate and reckless is what we're all about. So let's uh, let's inappropriately and recklessly take a break, come back, and we'll go around the bases in uh, what the heck's going on for the Baltimore Orioles. Around the bases. Let's uh, round first with a little rosturbation. Uh, quite a few things to talk through. I want to start with the topic of Michael Franco uh, just signed with the Baltimore Orioles after a little bit of will he, won't he. What do you think about this? Do you love it? Do you hate it or meh? Um, I'm actually kind of mad on this one. Um, I know there's a lot of folks that are a lot more excited with it. Um, because, you know, they look at it and they see him as a, a clear upgrade to Ruiz from an offensive basis. I, I don't know. Um, you know, I look at the two individuals, Franco being 28, Ruiz being 26, um, and I'm kind of like, I I think I'd rather see Ruiz out there for a little bit longer. Um, that, again, I think I'm also trying to redeem myself there after I called Ruiz last year the next Jonathan Scope. Um, <laughs> so I, I'm kind of meant to it is the best way to describe it. I think... I look at this move and, you know, it, maybe it pays dividends out. Maybe he has a, a good first half of the season. And maybe the Orioles and Elias are able to turn him into another trade candidate and, and fleece another team. But I'm, I'm, I'm skeptical is the best way to put it. Okay. I mean, I, I, I don't want anybody to think that I am like super excited about this, this signing, but I will say that, and again, I hate to say this, almost has a a Duquette feel to it, right? Of somebody who was formerly, you know, well regarded, just to see what'll happen. Um, I feel like we already know Rio Ruiz, and this is the opportunity to get to know uh, another player who, you know, has a ceiling of being marginally useful, 
And, uh, you know, you got to know that we'll get to see both of them at some point during the season because of injury, ineffectiveness, or what have you. Yeah, I mean, I think back to like another move that Elias made, which was be like they brought in Pedro Severino too to kind of shore up from a depth standpoint. And I, I come back to the same thing of like, is he going to offer you value? I mean, he's going to serve a role and fill the position, but you know, Pedro Severino certainly hasn't done anything besides just kind of filling positions. So I, I kind of put Franco in that kind of Severino category, which is like it's a body, um, but it's not in essence going to yield you anything of value. So, I don't know. Like I said, the money is there, um, and it's not a lot of money, but I don't know. Like I said, I'm I'm very much in the very meh category. Like, this seems very vanilla to me, um, and not even, like, French vanilla. I'm just talking just, you know, you know, cafeteria vanilla. That's really interesting you say Severino, because I think if he is a Severino, then that's kind of a steal of the deal. I, I'm um, still in meh category for Severino. I mean, Severino doesn't do anything for me besides just, serving as another catcher on the roster. Yeah, but if, if he is the type of player like Severino who can hold down the spot adequately to not incredibly disappointingly until a Rutschman or you know whoever is going to take that infield spot can arrive, I think that's that's a that's a fine. But but Jake, we've got Stevie Wilkerson for that. We've got Dr. Poo for that. So why do we need Mike Mikel Franco? You're, you're right. This is stealing at bats from Dr. Poo Poo. You've won me over. I'm against this right now. All right. Let's, let's look at other roster issues. Um, Scotty, I, I want to know who makes this club. So would it be all right if we, if we went around and looked at, at who we think is going to be on this club and maybe if we have any dark horse candidates uh, of, of folks that uh, you know might make it and, and might be a surprise. Yeah, sure, we can do that. All right, so let's start with the starting rotation. I think that we've got uh, three very easy ones in John Means, uh, Dean Kramer, and uh, Keegan Aiken. And then the question becomes, one, are we going to have uh, five or six starters? And then the second is, who are those other starters? I would have begrudgingly said, nah, you know, just because Felix Hernandez might come north with the club, uh, but that's clearly not going to happen. Do you think that Matt Harvey makes the club? So at this time, I'd say Harvey probably has the best route to get there since, you know, Felix is hurt. Um, you know, if I'm looking, I completely agree with your first three names. I mean, one that we hadn't talked about yet was Jorge Lopez, who I think makes the makes the club and in, in essence is going to be in the bullpen. It's that fifth spot, like you said, which is kind of this question mark, but I think Matt Harvey makes the roster um, and the Orioles are willing to roll with him um, through the season and, and see what they can make happen with him. So, yeah, I, I think Matt Harvey is your fifth starter going into the season. Do you think he's got enough left in the tank to be a fifth starter in this league? I think he is a good fifth or sixth starter is the best way to put it. <laughs> um, I don't know how many innings he's going to be able to give. And that's my biggest concern is just how many innings. Um if he could get to, if he could get to a hundred innings this season, I would be like, great signing, like absolutely phenomenal signing. Um, but like I said, right now looking at the depth chart, I think it's got to be Matt Harvey in that fifth spot. Do you think you know if he gets ten to fifteen starts, good sign? I'd say yes. Um, I'd okay. say if he actually gets to like ten to twelve starts, I'd be pretty happy. <laughs> okay. All right, fair enough. 
I agree with your assessment that Jorge Lopez is in the running for the rotation just because, uh, you know, it's kind of thin there and because they flirted with him being there before. I also think the, the candidate for that fifth uh, starter would be Jorge LeBron. Yeah, Jorge LeBron is a good one. Uh, and then the only one other one that I think is a really interesting one would be like a Bruce Zimmerman um, would be another individual that I'd look at. But um, Bruce Zimmerman has options right now. So like, do you really bring him up and then play the whole option game? I, I think you, in essence, just say, hey, we're just going to roll with Matt Harvey and just you know see if we can turn something and someone is interested at the trade deadline to pick him up. Um, you know and give us a prospect for him uh, and not a great prospect, but just something to basically get through the rest of the season. I can't wait for the Matt Harvey copy pasta. It'd be great. All right. Um, in the bullpen, you know, we've got a cast of characters that we, we already know, right. Uh, new Mike Wright will be there. Of course. I mean, uh, Sean Armstrong, you got to think that Paul Fry and Tanner Scott probably have locks on being in the, in the bullpen. Uh, it would have been, Hunter Harvey. Um, but here are two names for you, Scotty. You can tell me if you think they make the club or not. Um, and that is Cesar Valdez. I think he, he's probably got a spot to lose. What do you think? I think Cesar Valdez is actually probably your closer at this given point. Um, you know, with Hunt- ooh, ooh, pretty bold statement that the Orioles are going to have leads. Uh, listen, on occasion, the other team's just going to be so like, we just want to get <laughs> out of here. We're willing to take the loss. But you know, you look at Valdez and Harvey, um, and I think, you know, the Orioles are going to have to go to someone unless they're going to go back to Travis Lackin Sr. Uh, once again. Um, but I think Cesar Valdez is probably going to be your closer. Um, and it doesn't mean that he's going to be going for saves. It just might be a closer role. Um, but, yeah, I, I am almost positive Cesar Valdez makes the opening day roster. And like I said, I think he is at the very back end of the bullpen um, closing games out. So it's really funny that you said Lakin Sr. because that is my other guy that I think makes the club for no other reason that they need somebody to be able to give uh, jump time innings. Yeah, so I agree with you that I think Travis Likens definitely makes the club. He has two options remaining as well. So like, I think Travis Likens is one of those uh, Norfolk shuttle individuals that's going to be <laughs> buoyed back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. So... Um, yeah, I, I, those are my, my last two names as well. With um, the injury pushing either LeBlanc or Lopez or both into the rotation, what do you think about the chances of a guy like Fernando Abad in getting a spot in the club? I don't see it, personally. Um, I, I just don't see it at this given time. I mean, I haven't seen enough, um, mainly because we don't have mass and coverage whatsoever, um, but I just don't see Abad making the opening day roster at this given time. I gotta be honest. I've got a bad feeling about this. It would not surprise me. We are in classic midseason form, best best shape of our lives. Uh, <laughs> All right, let's move on to uh, let's move on to position players. No surprises in the in the catcher core. I don't think so. Um, I, I think it's just you know straight up chalk here in terms of the catching core. Um, I think you're you're looking at you know Chancisco and and Pedro Severino. Sure. Sure. And it's funny because, you know, I think we've really given up at this point on, you know, either one of them being being anything special, particularly Chan Cisco. It's just waiting for Rutschman. Yeah, I mean, I'd still come back and say that, you know, Cisco is an interesting individual for me, not as a starting catcher, but I could still see him being a serviceable backup catcher 
and then also a spot start um, and, um, you know, a potential um, pinch hitter on occasion, too. So, uh, you know, Cisco is is interesting to me. And like, but again, he's not a starter for me. He's a Caleb Joseph um, at best. Sure. Sure. OK, uh, let's take a look at the infield. We've already talked about Chris Davis. Um, my my gut feeling at this point is that Davis starts the season on the I.L., um, if for no other reason than to give them some some innings to work with to look at other players in the infield. What do you think? I completely agree with that. I think the big question is more going to be who plays first base for the Baltimore Orioles this season. And I think that's still a question in my head of like, we keep dancing around the topic, but no one really wants to put a pin in it and say, here's going to be your first baseman. So it's a really interesting story that, I don't understand why it's not talked about more because, you know, obviously the Orioles moved away from folks like Renato Nunez this offseason. Um, and, you know, in essence, they've got Ryan Mountcastle, Trey Mancini. Um, and then I guess you might be able to work in like real ease in there um, as a potential first baseman. But like, which one are you starting at first base to begin the year, Jake? I think um, strictly from an emotional Storyline standpoint, you start training. So I, I agree with you. Like, I think seeing what I've seen in the past, I think I would want to see Trey Mancini at first base, both from the storytelling, um, but also because I know Trey can play a decent first base. My only concern is if we're being realistic here is Trey is coming in, up, coming into the season and is coming off a really um, gut-wrenching 2020 um, and I am curious from an endurance standpoint and everything like that like is it a situation where the Orioles may need to go a little easy on him and maybe DHing him is an easy way for them to transition into the season um, no, I, think a, I think it's a really good question but like I said I don't want to put that out there because I don't know what kind of shape is Trey Mancini from an endurance standpoint like I can see him play I can watch some of the video and I definitely see that the skills are still there, but the skills in an at bat or in a cage workout is completely different than the grind and the marathon that is a baseball season. So if it's me, I think Ryan Mountcastle being at first base is a really intriguing storyline because it also, if he does well there at first base, then now you know who your first baseman of the future could potentially be. And I know people don't want to hear this, but like Trey Mancini is getting up there in age. He's 29 years old. And I'm not saying he's going to be gone anytime soon. But when you look at Mountcastle at 24 and Trey Mancini at 29, um, there's a lot of excitement that can be seen also with Mountcastle being successful at first base. Yeah, absolutely. And, and especially for the right now, between the outfield spot, you know, spot starts at first, and the DH, there are plenty of at-bats. Oh, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, like I said, both those players are going to play. Like, right. one of them's going to be first base and one's going to be DH. It's just that question to me of how much do we see the Ryan Mountcastle experience at first base um, and how good is he actually at first base over an entire season? Um, yeah. And if he is decent, I'm not saying he's going to be great, but if he's decent, man, that opens up a lot of possibilities going forward um, for the Orioles organization um, for the next, I'd say, five to six years um, is what I'm saying. Um, 
Let, let's go off of that. Like I said, that is certainly a storyline that we're going to have to watch. And like I said, first base is not a normally a very exciting storyline, um, <laughs> especially with the Orioles in past years. Um, but that's an interesting one just to see, um, you know, how they navigate that, as it were, in terms of who plays first base defensively. I think if it's not Chris Davis, there are going to be a lot of people excited. I guarantee it. Yep. Um, rest of the infield, I think, is pretty much set with Freddie Galvez at shortstop. Sanchez at second base. Um, and then you've also got, um, you know, the new one, Mike Mikel Franco at third base. Really is potentially could be filling in there at third base on occasion too. But um, I don't think there's any big surprises here from the rest of the infield. Now, do you think that Franco is the starter? Or do you think it's going to be a timeshare over there between him and Ruiz? I don't know what they're planning to do with Ruiz at this point because as has been discussed in the past, yes, one's a left-hander and one's a right-hander, but, you know, Ruiz is a reverse split hitter. So I think the only reason the Orioles signed Franco was for him to be a starter. It doesn't make sense to give him money for him to just be a bench spot. Uh, so I think Franco is your starting third baseman. Here's the deal with that. If that's the case, and I, I think that's probably a reasonable read, I think the only way that Rio Ruiz starts the season at the major league level is if Chris Davis is on the injured list. Yes. Because I don't think Rio Ruiz can be your utility player. Uh, so are we saying that Pat Valaika is your utility infielder? I think so. Yeah, I think that's who I'd be going with too. And as much as I don't want to, in essence, say the meat salesman from Minnesota is the, uh, is the utility infielder, I think that's the way it's going to roll out is the best way to put it. <laughs> Yeah, for the folks that don't know about the whole Pat Vileka, you know, meet uh, in Minnesota standpoint, Pat Vileka actually cannot say for those of you that don't know about Pat Vileka and the meat that is it's dangerous on this podcast. Uh, listen, if we're not going to talk about the meat uh, in Wilson Better Meat, I mean, we're not doing things right on, on Bird's Eye View. Um, but yeah, Pat Vileka obviously owns a burger stand out of Minnesota, and uh, you know, continues to serve the the fellow patrons of the uh, Minnesota provinces. Uh, during the off-season in order to supplement his income. We have to have the most self-referential podcast in Birdland. Uh, about to say, now that the Baltimoreans are retired, absolutely the case. <laughs> All right, so it seems to me that you and I agree uh, on on the infield. I'm going to, at this point, um, invoke my, my dark horse candidate. I think that uh, if, if we're talking about utility infielders, uh, Jemai Jones would be you know, the, the only one that I could see cracking the roster, but I think the door slammed for him when Franco was signed. Yeah, so I mean, I think Jemai Jones is a really interesting player at 23 years old, but he does have options remaining. So I don't know why you wouldn't put Jemai Jones in um, the minors and basically work him up from there. Um, I think there's a lot of interest around Jemai Jones, specific of him being a high org prospect. Um, I think the Orioles want to, in essence, see what they can garner from him rather than just throw him to the wolves in Major League Baseball. <laughs> yeah, no, I, I, I agree. All right, any surprises out in the outfield? Um, I don't think there's too, I mean, too many big surprises in the outfield. Um, I guess the question really is, um, when do we see certain other players? Like, I think Yuzniel Diaz has actually had a really nice spring training so far. Um, I guess my question is, like, when do we see Yuzniel Diaz in the outfield? Because right now I think it's set with, you know, Austin Hayes, Cedric Mullins, and then obviously 
folks like DJ Stewart and Anthony Santander. But my question is, at what point do one of those individuals start to falter? And when do we potentially see Yusniel Diaz? Or when does an injury happen and we see Yusniel Diaz? It's really interesting you say that. I'm going to stop you. I'm really interested to see Diaz uh, play at the major league level. Frankly, I just want the Machado trade to have been worth it. Um, But you mentioned uh, DJ Stewart. I don't have him on the roster. Really? Starting with the big one. Yeah. Yeah. I've got uh, my outfield looks like uh, Ryan Mountcastle when he's not playing first. Uh, Anthony Santander. Austin Hayes. And the fourth outfielder being Cedric Mullins with uh, Pat Holeika and Trey Mancini being able to fill uh, in the corners. So who do you have in DJ Stewart's position on the bench? I, I guess that would be, uh, let's see here. Let me, let me count out my answers. Because you've got Pedro Severino on the bench or Chancisco. Um, you've got Rio Ruiz on the bench. You've got Pat Valaika on the bench, and then you've got an extra spot on the bench, theoretically, because you're going to want to have four people on the bench. Like, there's got to be one more player there. And my question would be, like, who is better than DJ Stewart um, on the roster right now um, that would take his role? Yeah, that's a good question. Maybe I'm, oh, you know what? I'm probably going with a 25-man roster. That is an uh... issue. I'm playing yesterday's baseball, Scott. You are playing. You are playing Nick Marcakis baseball right there. You need to get <laughs> get with modern times. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting because uh, in in years past, I would have said, you know, DJ Stewart's not talented enough to be on the, the club. This year, as I was filling out a 25-man roster, I was thinking, wow, it's interesting that I, I think that he's probably you know good enough to be on the club, but you know, getting pushed out, um, you know, because we've got other players. And also very funny because, you know, what was at the beginning of last year, I was just crying about how thin the Orioles were at the, uh, in the outfield. Um, you know, we had, we had uh, you know, Mason Williams uh, on the club, and I just, you know, it, it's, we've come a long way since then. Yeah, and like I said, I think we're going to see a lot of DJ Stewart. I mean, again, he had a really good end of the season, so I think the Orioles are going to want to see what they can make of him. Um And, you know, we have to think back to the offseason, too, where there were these rumors of Anthony Santander um, being on the trading block. And I don't think those rumors are going to stop anytime soon. So I think the Orioles are going to, in essence, take their plethora of outfield options that they have, which is nice to hear, um, and in essence, figure out where do we move um, these individuals. And like I said, the Ryan Manicostle one is a really big question mark for me, just to figure out what position he's going to play. But at the end of the day, if it's just we've got to find a home for Anthony Santander and or, um, you know, DJ Stewart, I think that's a really easy thing to basically take care of through a trade with another another club. Sure, sure. All right. Um, let, let me, you know, going back to first base here for our observation, uh, uh, something I read last week uh, from Rock Cabaco. I don't know if this is interesting to anybody but me. Um, but he, you know, was trying to drive up some content and he gave us the construction of the 40 man roster. 13 of the, the people in the 40 man roster drafted by the Orioles, 10 claimed off waivers, 10 acquired via trades, four were rule five picks. And at the time there were three free agent signings, one at the major league level, 
one of the minor league level and one an international free agent, uh, and of course a second major league uh, baseball free agent in uh, Michael Franco. Franco. Uh, I don't know. I, I thought that was interesting. Most most interesting to me was the ten acquired in trades and the thirteen uh, draftees. What do you make of that? Is that is that interesting to anybody but me, or or you know, do we have any kind of bearing for what a good club's roster construction should look like? I mean, I, I feel like that's pretty normal, um, and that's the way it should be. I mean, I think we, you know, since look back at the Duquette era, and I think there was a lot of you know homegrown talent from the McPhail era too, um, but there was also a lot of free agencies and waivers that were picked up during the Duquette era too. So. You know, I, I look at it and I say the Orioles are getting close to being that right composition and nucleus. Um, I just think there needs to be a little bit more homegrown talent there as opposed to waiver claims um, and trade tan- candidates. And again, getting into that aspect of a few more um, two to four war players. I still quite see um, the given composition that is acceptable to me to say, all right, I see what the workings look like for being a playoff team. I think when I walk through just my my quick chicken scratch, as it were, for you know future years uh, for 2023, I was like, I think I'm at like 17 war with Rutschman coming onto the team in the future um, on the offense, and I really we really need to be closer to like above 20 and probably closer to like 22 to 23. So I'm like, they're close, but they're just not quite there yet um, is the best way to put it. So I'm liking what I'm seeing in terms of how the Orioles are continuing to, um, we'll call it shotgun approach um, and seeing what kind of talent they can get um, that are not superstars, potentially like an Ali Rutschman, um, but that are going to be those kind of mediocre one to two war players. Sure. Okay. Um, last roster note for me. Uh, this is a Rule 5 note. The Cubs returned their Rule 5 pick that they took from the Orioles' gray center. Um, I'm reminded that not all clubs can keep their Rule 5 picks. Uh, it's good to see, one, that the Orioles are, are starting to get pilfered by other clubs, and even better to see um, that the, the talent came back to the organization. Absolutely. Yeah, I mean, um, we'll, we'll see. I think the Orioles will actually probably get all their Rule 5 drafts back. Uh, again, I don't think many folks are going to be able to get through this entire season with it. Um, but yeah, that was good to see Gray Fenter return to the organization. Not everybody can be Ryan Flaherty. Not everyone can be a Ryan Flaherty. Or an Anthony Santander. Sure, it's true. All right, Scott, have we have we squeezed every last drop out of the roster? Yeah, I think we're good with rosterbation. Take us to second base, would you? Yeah, so the Orioles announced uh, that fans will be in the stands to start the season. Um the Orioles announced that the stadium is going to open with 25% capacity, pod seating, digital ticketing, uh, cashless transactions at the bar park only. Um, uh, so, Jake, I, I asked you this question via text, and I, I want to talk a little bit more about it on the podcast. When are you going to feel comfortable going back into Camden Yards? Yeah, I don't know. And that's a, that's a question that's bigger than baseball, too. Um, you know, I've been tracking the numbers here in Maryland, and so you look at you know a couple of key factors, transmission rate, um, you know, one of the things that's important to me is the hospital utilization in the area and that kind of thing. But I think the, the question is, how confident and uh, cavalier should we be uh, once we're vaccinated and, uh, you know, what will the rest of the population uh, be like as far as their, 
you know, their confidence and, and cavalierness uh, before and after. I don't know, Scott. It, I'm not trying to dodge the question. I just, I don't know. I think, you know, looking where things stand now, if I'm given the opportunity to go to Cannon Yards with, you know, 11,000 of my closest friends um, with some of the, you know, quote-unquote protections that the Orioles have put in place, yeah, I would probably be comfortable going. What about you? So I'm I'm not so concerned as it relates to like the seating options and stuff like that. I think my main concern lies around the transition points that are present within the ballpark. So like if I need to go and use the restroom, like we have seen multiple times, like um, there's a little bit of a crowd aspect from going into restrooms um, in the past. So. I'm more interested in this aspect of not so much the pod spacing in terms of the seating, but more so the basis of like, what does the stairwells look like? What does the escalators look like? What do the lines look like at the concession stands? These, these smaller things that I think are more concerning to me. So for me, I mean, I think you and I are both very privileged. I mean, um, we're going to be vaccinated by the time, you know, this is available, um, but I think to that aspect of other folks that are not going to be vaccinated, and I also think about the workers that are going to be present there too, and whether or not they're going to be vaccinated. And a, a part of me is just like, I want to experience a sense of normalcy, but a part of me is also in the back of my head going to be saying, is this the right thing to do? Um, so in, in that whole answer, yeah, Jake, I'm going to be there on opening day uh, and I'm going to be drinking beers. Um, but at the same time, I'm going to be doing it with a, a, a tinge of guilt is the best way to describe it. I think that's fair. I think that's fair. I, I do have a lot to unpack with what you just said. Uh, first of all, I don't care what your politics are. There is no place that is more appropriate or helpful to wear a mask than a men's room at a baseball stadium. Um, but I, I, I do want to go back to... It just means professions. that in the American University style, you can be wearing a mask and you can be standing in a urinal and you can be smiling and the other guy next to you doesn't know. Jeez, you're the worst. <laughs> <laughs> Let's go back to the concession stands. Um, I'm not beating up the team here. I just, let me say that unequivocally. However, uh, it, it's interesting that they are limiting uh, during the COVID period uh, fans' ability to bring in outside food. And I think some of that is probably a safety concern of, you know, not wanting to have to inspect people's bags and put the um, stadium staff at risk of, of, you know, touching people's bags and getting all up in their personal space and wanting to to keep the contactless uh, station there. I I get that. But they are losing it on the back end of opening up concessions and, one, having people in line, too close together, and, two, having the appearance of trying to improve the bottom line uh, through the sale of concessions. What, what, what are your thoughts there? I, I agree with you on this. Like I said, it's a slippery slope. I understand why they're doing it. I don't really know if it's truly necessary or not. Um, but, you know, for the, for the beginning of the season, for maybe the first, we'll call it maybe two months, April and May, I'm okay with it is the best way to describe it. I was actually thinking more along the lines of, you know, if concessions are open in this given regard and we're going to digital or cashless transactions, does that mean that 
you know, vendors are not going to be roaming the stands um, because typically oh. they're a cash basis when they're doing that. Um, is it going to be a situation where we're not going to see vendors walking through the stands and are you going to have to go out to the concourse to get all your transactions? Um, I think that's probably going to be the case. I'd be surprised if it's not. Um, but I think that'll be, it'll be odd not to hear um, the beer hecklers, as it were, uh, making that call um, for who's thirsty um, in a baseball park. You know, especially with the need for fewer of them, with fewer stands in the stands, fewer fans in the stands, it wouldn't surprise me either to see uh, the concession people that come around armed with uh, credit card machines. Then that's the question is like that hasn't happened in the past, but it would make a lot of sense for like iPads and or, um, you know, a Venmo or something like that or anything in that given regard where you basically can do a, a swipe aspect. So it, it's it's going to be different. It's it's going to be interesting. I think this is a good first step to see how well it goes from a 25 percent basis. Like I said, I'm more interested just to see what those transitions look like. Are the Orioles going to be installing um, thermal cameras, for example, going into the stadium so that we can, in essence, be registering temperatures before coming into the ballpark? Um, Stuff like that um, that are going to be intriguing to me. Uh, I'm going to acknowledge ignorance here. I'm asking a question because I don't know the answer. How are they going to arrange which of the season ticket holders can attend a game like opening day. I mean, are, are there are there eleven thousand season tickets I, I don't, uh, out at this point? I don't think there's eleven thousand season ticket holders. Um, uh, I I think everyone's going to basically who's a season ticket holder is going to basically get that chance. And if there is more than eleven thousand season ticket holders, which again, I would be very surprised. Um, and then I guess it'll come back down to seniority um, is the best way to describe it. Um, but I would be, I would be surprised if there is eleven thousand season ticket holders at this point. Yeah, I just, I, I don't, I don't know which way I would handicap that, um, particularly because you know you have. I don't think there, I don't think there's, of, yeah, I don't think there's that many suckers out there that said, hey, let's go ahead and pay money into the twenty twenty season because we really want to see the Baltimore Orioles, and then COVID hitting and saying, hey, we want to keep our money with the team. Um, because, you know, we're going to be back in 2021 regardless. I think a lot of people with the financial constraints that were were 2020 um, maybe said, you know, we'll come back maybe at some point in 2021, but right now is not the right time for us to do it. So, uh, again, Jake, I come back to um, in our situations, we were able to maintain our season ticket plans. We were able to carry over the the money um, with a very large credit that was given us to, by the Baltimore Royals. Um, we are very privileged is the best way to put it. Um, and you know, I'm going to, you, you, re, you bring up a really good point. I'm going to write a strongly worded, uh, letter to the Orioles. I think when the next time it comes to, um, playoff tickets and seniority mm-hmm. is a, is a consideration. I think they should ignore anybody that dropped in 2020 and came back. Yeah. I mean, I think, I think they should basically give everybody, uh, credit for 2020 just because it was so crazy and, and maybe they're going to do that regardless maybe when you know they opened up the 2021 invoices they basically said hey do you want in or do you want out and basically carrying over the seniority basis i i just don't know 
And even if it is a situation where they give that option to fans as well to come back in 2021, you know, people are still in, in a tough shape right now uh, from the economic basis. So I can completely understand, you know, long tenured fans who may have had season tickets for, you know, 10 to 15 plus years um, that are 13 game holders and saying, you know, right now from an economic standpoint, it just is not something I can take on. And it's also not something I can take on um, with the state that the club is in, um, in a rebuild year. At some point, uh, the restriction of 25% is going to be dropped. At some point in 2021, the Baltimore Orioles and Maryland Stadium Authority will be opening their doors to uh, uh, the potential of a packed house. Um, do you think that the Orioles are going to get a ticket boost because people have been trapped in their house for a year. Do you think that their attendance will be better during the uh, during the non-restricted portion of their schedule than their win-loss record deserved? So it, it, I agree with you that eventually, um, you know, it's going to go from twenty-five percent probably to fifty percent because that was the uh, announcement that was made by Governor Hogan that you know mass venues would be able to open to fifty percent. I think what we will find with attendance that you know. Once school is out and it's summertime and the Orioles are playing well, attendance numbers surely will increase and the fans will come back into the stands to support the team. Oh, wait. No, they won't. It's People will attend games um, specifically on the basis of like uh, when there are your teams that people want to see. So like when it's going to be like the Red Sox in town or the Yankees in town or our popular teams, we're going to see a massive amount of crowds pop in for that. But when it's a Rays and Orioles uh, series, it's going to be continue to be a dismal um, outshowing and outpouring because why would you want to see the Baltimore Orioles when you could just stay at home and do it? What It's an inconvenient aspect to do so. So, Jake, no, I don't expect an attendance boom uh, in, in 2021. All right. I, um, I think we should pick a number, Scott. We should place a friendly wager on this and we should track it at the end of the season all right you think about what the appropriate uh, punishment for me being wrong should be and uh we'll, we'll uh i'll prove that off mike um I, i've already got the punishment to my head uh one one last thing about tickets i noticed this on the site the other day and i just want to again uh pat the orioles on the head for doing what i consider to be the right thing uh the five game flex flat uh Flex plan is available again this year. I think it's a really, really good thing. Makes solid business uh, for, for the Orioles to do. And again, makes buying tickets uh, accessible to, to a lot of fans. You know, some people aren't like us. They're not dorks in their basements who, who talk Orioles every week. Five games is the right number for some baseball fans. Uh, props to the Orioles for, for making that ticket package available. Yeah, no, like I said, I think that's the right call to get people back into the stadium and get them um, familiar with what the stadium is going to look like going forward. So, uh, yeah, good on the Orioles to do that. Um, let's head over to third base. Um, and one thing that has caught my eye and a few other Orioles fans is um, the Orioles media, uh, not media, I should say the Orioles you know, public relations department has been doing a really good job of using their slow motion ca- capture cameras uh, in terms of being high speed, high frame rates. Um, and this kind of caught notoriety with um, them catching uh, some video of 
uh, a knuckleball that the Orioles have um, and just kind of showing the no rotation of the ball while it's floating across home plate. It was just a really cool video to see it kind of be going at full speed and then slow down to basically frame by frame by frame um, and just really good. So, Jake, I, I asked you this question, you know, if you had access to the kind of these, uh, f- you know, these cameras that could basically capture things at a very high frame rate and in essence almost be like slow motion capture, um, what would you use to record um, and, and basically overanalyze? I've thought a lot about this and I, I have, I think, the perfect moment uh, that, that I, I would like to see in slow motion. I would like to see that camera applied to the gentleman carrying two beers, one in each hand, and has the foul ball come towards them. Uh, and, and, and he looks, and then the slow-mo needs to be the look of realization on his face as he makes the decision of either I have to drop one of these beers or I have to let this ball hit me in the chest and hope that I can stop it. And I think if you can take that that inner turmoil and 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 just raging argument within that person in slow motion, uh, I think that is the drama that this camera really can, can bring to baseball. Yeah, I wish we had these cameras a few years back because I think they could have been crucial. I mean, I would have put them directly into the post-game interviews with Buck Showalter. I've been videotaping Buck during those post-game Showalter uh, interviews. And then right before that nose whistle goes off, I would just kind of zoom into the nose and I would just watch the hairs that came out of Buck's nose just kind of, you know, flick a little bit. And I would just kind of analyze the aspects of how does his nose work in that given regard to produce that kind of noise that comes out of it. All right, if you're going to turn back the clock, then there's clearly a moment in baseball history that we needed a camera for this. And that is the big unit destroying a bird with a pitch. I think with a slow-motion camera, we could have learned something about the very nature of physics itself with that camera. I think we could have learned a lot about anatomy and physiology. There's no question about that. There's some other things that I think would be interesting from a slow-motion standpoint is, you know, obviously authenticity is such a big deal right now in journalism. So, you know, I think I'd probably, you know, um, borrow one of those cameras over to, you know, some of our Australian colleagues and I'd ask them to potentially, you know, slow motion capture Dan Clark as he controls C's and control B's uh, various beat writers tweets um, going forward in the future. (laughs) Uh, I knew it was coming. It was still great. (laughs) Um, I um, I want to I want to put that camera back in the stand, Scott, uh, because again I, I think that this is uh, as much about anthropology as it is about sports journalism. I would like to point that camera at the faces of Orioles fans as they watch an opposing batter just destroy a monster home run. Like I, I'm thinking, you know the the famous video of Tom Brady being disappointed as Nick Marcakis. Yeah. And he goes, Oh uh, no. Yeah, absolutely. (laughs) That moment of realization that something bad has just happened. I want to see that preserved uh, with a slow motion camera like that. All right. So last one, and I'm going to stick with that whole aspect of O's fans. Jake, the last thing I want to do from a slow motion capture is capture a fan. And Jake, I specifically want to capture you on opening day when the Beatles 
come on to the speakers at Canyon Yards and see your face go from normal to giddy schoolgirl uh, as you hear the Beatles once again in Oriole Park at Camden Yards. You know my name. Look up the number. All right, let's head into home plate. Uh, Scott, spring training is, is wrapping up. Um, you know, we've, we've talked about the roster. And so really, I, I, just as things close, let me ask you, who were you most interested in seeing in in spring training, and have you learned anything? Uh, so I feel like I haven't learned anything this spring training, and I think a part of it is um, just the inconsistencies in terms of you know not having radio broadcast, mm-hmm. um, not having you know mass and broadcast. I, I feel like the team is almost in this vacuum, as it were, and you know they're playing their games and you know they're going through the motions, but you know, they are exhibition games to a plus is the best way to put it, even though, um, you know, spring training is all about exhibition games. So I, I don't really feel like there's anything that I've learned about this team. You know, I think we talked about a little bit earlier on of like, I would love to see a little bit more of players like Trey Mancini. Cedric Mullins is another individual we didn't talk about a ton. Um, but just seeing, you know, some of those individuals that um, I, I want to see what they're going to look like for the 2021 season. Um, Trey, I think we know he's going to be, you know, a, a good ball player, but can he get back into that form of old where he's a great ball player? Um, and can certain players like Cedric Mullins or DJ Stewart, can they catch fire again like they did in 2020 um, and continue to rise their stock? And without seeing at bats and plate discipline and pr- plate approach, it's really difficult for me to, in essence, ascertain um, any new pickups right now, it's just kind of relying on old prospecting. And then you need know, the occasional aspect where John Mioli will, you know, videotape something and put it onto Twitter, which we all appreciate. Um, since there doesn't appear to be any coverage coming forward for spring training anytime soon, even though Masson came out and said, Hey, we're thinking about putting out four games. And then it went back into the black hole of nothingness once again. Yeah, we should we should really pat him on the back for thinking about doing those four games. That, that was good. That was good thinking. Good, yeah, way to uh, in essence try to appease Matt Kremnitz, sir, um, and then maybe be like, you know what? No, we're not going to do that. I would have liked to have seen uh, some of the talent that's not going to come up, or or at least not going to come up, come up right away, to see how far away we think they might be. Right? We talked about Diaz and whether or not you know he's going to be on the roster at some point this year. I'd like to be able to see in spring training how far away do we think he is. It's obvious that Adley Rutschman is not going to play at the major league level this year, but I'd like to see how close is. Right? Is he going to be here next year at some point? And, and this spring training is an opportunity for us to see that. And, um, you know, we just we didn't get it. Yeah. So, like I said, it was... Like I said, we still have some time left in spring training. We've got a little, little under two weeks left. Um, you know, maybe something will come of it, and it'll seem more like reality. But so far, I feel like it's kind of a black hole. Um, and you know, we know they're doing stuff down there. We can write, read the beat writers. We can see the occasional video. We can see the occasional team broadcast. You know that they're playing another team and they're broadcasting their team instead of the Orioles doing so. Um, but again, it just doesn't feel quite the same just yet. Um, which to me, I think is going to make potentially the start of the season, maybe even more special, um, where it's almost like we've waited a really long time 
in even like spring training didn't really happen. And being able to see it with your eyes, um, I think it's going to be, it, it could be pretty special is the best way to put it. Fair enough. Well, Scott, we've made it all the way around the bases. Let's take a quick break, come on back. And I want to talk uh, about something that came up in the wake of me uh, being in my emotions about Nick Marcakis. reactions about that on the web. One of them was really interesting. Justin McGuire, of course, the Baseball by the Book podcast, go run and listen to that show. Uh, he bumped something that he had tweeted back in, in August of 2020, and this is the tweet. The next four people inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame should be Joe Alfabelli, J.J. Hardy, Buck Showalter, Adam Jones. And at the time, I was like, oof, that's, uh, that's you know, some bold statements. But then I did two things. The first thing I did was I looked and I saw exactly who was already in the Orioles Hall of Fame. You know, what's the bar that we're looking at? And then I took a look at the rosters from the Buckle Up Birds era. And so, you know, I'll ask you, Scott, is that crazy that those should be the next four guys in and uh, maybe we can talk a little bit about, uh, you know, who we think is going to be uh, in the Orioles Hall of Fame coming up. Yes. Uh, so tell, I, tell me all about it. I, I do agree with Justin on this one. And I know Justin has talked about Joe Ottobelli before, um, and he's been railing on this for, for quite some time. And I think it's even more so um, that came up with, you know, obviously his passing too. And I, I agree with Justin's statement of like Atabelli won a World Series in '83, um, and then just thinking about the whole Orioles way, like you know he was part of that Rochester Red Wings organization too. Like I look at other folks in the Orioles Hall of Fame, and I look at Atabelli, and I'm like, yeah, Atabelli probably deserves to be in there. Is he is he one of the best Orioles of all time? No, but he definitely deserves to be in there. So I don't quite understand why he is not in there. There has to be something going on from like an Orioles Advocates or something like that. Maybe it's just. He didn't have a long enough time in the Orioles. I believe the rule is that you have to have three seasons with the Baltimore Orioles. Um, so maybe that is just the criteria where they're just saying he doesn't meet the eligibility requirements to be considered as an Orioles Hall of Famer. But there are various exceptions that have been made to the rules um, in the past. I think Joe Altabelli deserves to be in there. You know, the other names, J.J. Hardy, Buckshaw Walter, and Adam Jones, clearly are all... Orioles Hall of Famers in my mind. Um, you know, I think they they should all be in there. My question is, should they be in there next is the best question. Um, you know, Buck Showalter, there still is that possibility that he could manage again, um, not for the Baltimore Orioles, but for another team. I mean, um, as of, you know, last winter, there was those conversations of him doing interviews and stuff like that. So my question would be, is it the right time to induct Buck Showalter into the Hall of Fame or do you hold off on a few years? And similarly, Adam Jones is still playing in Japan. Is it possibly comes back in place for Major League Baseball? 
More than likely not. He's probably done for Major League Baseball, but I think you wait until Adam Jones officially retires, similar to what Nick Markakis just did, and then you basically go out and tender him. So J.J. Hardy, I think, is in that category. Um, I think you do it. Personally, me, um, I think you wait, and I know a lot of folks said this this past week, I think you wait until Adam Jones retires, and then you put Adam Jones and Nick Markakis in both together, um, and I think it really serves really well. Um, and then I think you dedicate a portion of the stadium um, kind of to them. So I, I, like I said, I think, you know, renaming the bleachers, you know, Section 2110, we a really cool tribute um, to Adam Jones and Nick Markakis going forward where you're not retiring their numbers per se, um, right. but in essence, you're paying homage to them in the stadium um, going forward for, for the rest of eternity. Yeah, I, I, I like that. And I, I co-sign everything that you just said. I will say that I, I do think that it is appropriate to wait until it is unquestionable that the player is, is going to retire. You know, Jonesy, I'm, I'm okay with them waiting. I don't mind a manager being inducted into the Hall of Fame and then having him come back into the game. I think that's that's okay. Um, but I do think that there is also a no-brainer that I haven't heard much chatter about that gives them some time to, to wait on these guys. Joe Angel has to be an Orioles Hall of Famer, right? So, yes, I would agree that Joe Angel is definitely a Orioles Hall of Famer because um, uh, Fred Manfra is uh, in the Orioles Hall of Fame, correct? Yes, yes, yes. Yeah. to say, I'm pretty sure Joe um, basically gave his his ceremony for man for a winning game. And so, yeah, you would think that Joe Angel would get in there. Uh, it, you know, Fred got in there. You would think that Joe Angel got it, gets in there as well. So yeah, that's a little surprising to me as well. Like, that's an individual that you would feel like, okay, you know, if you're looking for a player, if you're looking for a person, like Joe Angel makes a ton of sense um, to basically induct at this given time. All right, so there's like, those are the no-brainers, right? Those are the clear, easy ones. I feel like there is a next tier of players that are questionable but have, to varying degrees, a strong association with the Buffalo Birds winning era. And maybe as, you know, times get a little thin for, for, you know, electing Orioles Hall of Famers, Maybe they should consider the following. Again, after retirement, what do you think about Zach Britton? I'm not a huge fan of Zach Britton um, in the Orioles Hall of Fame. Okay. If I'd he, rather leave him if in he the. He entered the 2016 uh, wildcard game. Would you feel differently? I, I might feel differently, but at okay. this time, I'd rather just leave him in the bullpen and not induct him into the Hall of Fame. All right. What about Matt Week? Uh. Uh, Watt meters is probably not in my Orioles Hall of Fame either. Great player, um, but probably not Orioles Hall of Fame for me. Okay. Chris Tillman. Uh, definitely not. Okay. I'm going to do it to you, Scott. Steve Pierce. Uh, Steve Pierce, definitely not. Really? Yeah. Oh. Not enough longevity and not a big enough, like, you know, player is the best way to describe it. So, like, Definitely a great season, um, but not yeah, one. You know he was a you know he was a, a MVP of a World Series, right? Uh, yes, for the Boston Red Sox. <laughs> oh right, right. Yeah. Right. So um, yeah, Steve Pierce is not going to to get my nod. <laughs> All right, you're telling me that Buck Showalter is a slam dunk 
Buck, Ball, Buck Showalter is a slam dunk Hall of Famer. It's it's not a matter of if, it's a matter of when for me. Okay. Is a slam dunk or even just a maybe Orioles Hall of Famer Dan Duquette? Uh, no. Dan Duquette is not a Hall of Famer for myself. Okay. Even though it's arguable that even at the detriment of the era that followed, he brought playoff baseball back to Baltimore? Even though he bought, brought, brought playoff baseball back to Baltimore, he still does not enter into that realm of being um, honored as an Orioles Hall of Famer. Okay. All right. I, I, I can accept that answer. Let me ask you this question. I have, I have two. Um, are there any uh, people, not necessarily just players, are there any people presently with the Orioles that you would say, you know, things keep going the way they are, these might one day be Orioles Hall of Famers? Yeah, I can think of one right off the top of my head. Okay. Uh, what about Fancy Clancy? Oh, that's a really good one. I had not considered that, but yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I mean, you. I think more along the lines of, like, what establishes it? So, like, obviously there's the Wild Bill Hagee Award that is part of the Orioles Hall of Fame. And the Orioles have done stuff with it. But, like, if I think about individuals that have, in essence, put their brand on the ballpark, I would think, you know, Fancy Clancy would be a classic example of someone that has put his brand out there and has established himself as an Orioles Hall of Famer at this point. You know, uh, I look at people who have put their stamp on the ball club and who people readily associate with the ball club and with good times. If he continues to do this job for a long time, what do you think about Ryan Wagner? So I I think Ryan is um, on his way. Uh, I still think there has to be something more is the best way to describe it. So um, as much as I love Ryan, I, I don't think he's quite reached that that threshold is the best way to describe it. But um, it could happen is the best way to put it. He's clearly, clearly not in the league of Rex Party just yet. What I will say I, there's is There's nobody, that, and I think Ryan will even say this, like there's no chance he's going to be Rex Barney. Like, sure. he, I, think he, I think we've talked about this before. He would say, like, I don't want to be Rex Barney. I want to be my own individual. Um, and I think that there are moments that we look back on um, that are certainly special. Um, and lots of those are tied um, to his voice in that ballpark. I just don't know if he has got to that point that I'm like, you've made an impact where a generation will always remember you. Yeah, that's a good question. Last, uh, last name I'll throw out there. He's clearly got years and years and years more to do this. Um, but when I think about um, press covering the team and the prominence thereof, what do you think about a guy like Rock Baco? Yeah, so Rock is an interesting one because that was one of my other ones that I think is a really interesting one. So like, I think Rock actually as at a point right now in his career that he probably has done enough actually to get into the Orioles Hall of Fame. But this is an interesting area because it, it skirts a line here. Like, we obviously all know that Madison is owned by the Orioles and um, in essence, Rock, in essence, somewhat works for the Orioles. But Rock also will, you know, pay this illusion back to like, he's a beat writer. He's just calling it as he sees it. 
But you can take a look at some of his work and be like, yeah, you're calling it as you see it. But at the same time, too, like there's a little bit of a bias there, too. So um, it's a dangerous game. And I would wonder and actually ask from a Rock's point standpoint, like, would he feel comfortable with that? Or does he feel like that kind of tarnishes his legacy um, of being a beat writer um, by being inducted into the Orioles Hall of Fame? Um, I think he's done enough. I think he's been from a longevity standpoint with the team where, you know, when Rock calls it quits, I think it would be a suitable honor for him is the best way to describe it. But again, this comes back down to um, a when, not if aspect for me. Yeah, I, I think he's I think he's clearly a, a green jacketer. Let me um, let me throw this out to you. Let's just say for some reason anyone is concerned about uh, you know a, a possible conflict of interest or whatever. It, it, I, I don't think it would be a big deal one way or the other. But let's just say when Rock Baco is uh, is inducted in the Orioles Hall of Fame, he does so in a category. Uh, named after Monica Barlow. And he is the first recipient of the uh, Monica Barlow Avenue. Into- I, I, I better say, if you ever want to watch a grown man cry, that would be an yeah. easy way to make Rockabaco cry. Yeah. Uh, you know, again, another strongly worded uh, email to the yeah. Orioles. Rockabaco would literally me. crumble uh, as the massive man that he is. Um, and I think we would all cry, actually, uh, honest, in all honesty. Um, but yeah, Rock would. Oh, yeah. Rock would take that um, with utmost humility um, and just really he would be probably what be one of his greatest honors of his life is the best way to put it. Yeah. So, hey, uh, let us know what we've forgotten. Uh, what Orioles Hall of Famers uh, do you have uh, that we haven't, haven't talked about? I'm also curious to hear what people think about any any uh, present Orioles that may be. Hall of Famers someday. Or past Orioles that, you know, the Orioles have, you know, forgotten about or, you know, not nominated into the Orioles Hall of Fame. Well, I, I can't, I can't wait to, to watch the jacket ceremony for Wade and Block. I think, I think it'll be, you know, truly special. I did hear the Orioles were thinking about Kevin Gregg um, one season ago. <laughs> yeah, that idea just didn't catch fire, did it? No, <laughs> apparently they couldn't find any gasoline. <laughs> <laughs> All right, let's stop this madness. Take a step aside, and then uh, let's come back and blow the safe. Scott, you know they say to do uh, to do a thing well, it's never too late. But gotta be honest, I I stretched that idea recently. I don't know if you noticed, but uh, we we put out the bevies recently. Uh, the 2020 bevies were released in uh, <clears throat> March of 2021, which wouldn't be so bad if they weren't recorded in October of 2020. Um, boy, howdy, that was that was timely, wasn't it? Uh, very timely, Jake. Um, very punctual. Uh, we did a great job there. Yeah, yeah. You know, I every year. I get on the presenters about making sure that they have their clips in on time. You know, I'm a drill sergeant about it. I've, uh, you know, we, we have lost so many uh, important friendships. Uh, you know, I can't tell you, uh, 
you know how frequently Matt Taylor chews me out over this. Uh, but uh, boy, howdy, I uh, I dropped the ball. So uh, apologies to uh, to people who were obviously clamoring. I think clamoring is the right word uh, for the 2020 bevies, but they are out there. Uh, they're timely. They are just as prescient as they would have been in October. But I got to tell you, it was interesting to open up that time capsule and look, you know, five months in the rearview mirror uh, to see, you know, what what was still so very relevant. Yeah, like I said, not much has changed with the Baltimore Orioles in reality. Um, they are still the we'll call it the ho hum team that they are. <laughs> Do you think do you think it would be noticeable if we started putting out episodes in a five month lag? Um, I mean, we could do it. It would be classic um, Baltimore on slash Oriole spastic uh, content. So uh, maybe as the old guard, we should try to do that more often. Yeah. So, yeah. folks, we'll see you in six months from now. Um, it'll be the end of September by that point, um, and we can talk about what the twenty twenty one season looked like, um, and uh, we'll go from there. Well, we'll still be talking about twenty twenty season at that point. Yes. Still, still reviewing it, still picking it apart. And I think there are lessons to be gleaned from the 2020 season at this point. But in all seriousness, I, I just want to thank everybody that, that contributed uh, to that show. We, we love putting the bevies together, despite the fact that it sat on the cutting room floor uh, for quite some time. Uh, but thank you to everyone that makes that possible. That is such a fun project, and uh, we, really, we really do uh, have a lot of people uh, to thank. Uh, so with the, the save being blown, the only thing I will say is that, Scott, I'm also itching for the return of Good, the Bad, and the Ugly of this podcast, but we, we just need to see some stuff uh, absolutely. in order to know what's good and bad and ugly. Need to see some stuff, and like I said, with vaccines uh, quickly approaching, too, we are eagerly uh, getting close to the point as well with baseball returning and then also uh, Jake English making the fateful return to SD Studios um, to, um, to, to get his sweat on as it were, um, eye to eye with, with myself. I don't even, I don't even know where to go with that. Uh, so I think there's nothing left for me to say then that's our show. Remember, you can find this and our entire catalog of indispensable episodes at birdsofviewbaltimore.com. Birds of View is available for download wherever it is you get your podcast. Subscribe to the show on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, Google Podcasts, Spotify, and it may be parlor as well. Um, please remember to rate and review the show. We appreciate the feedback and it encourages other people to listen for the first time. You know, 72.8% of you may not prefer it, but you can get social with us. You can email us at contact at You can find us on social media on Instagram, Facebook, and Snapchat for the best way to get all of us and to remind us how much you like Jim Palmer better. You can tweet us on Twitter, where we tweet at BirdseyeViewBAL. And with that, Baltimore and Beyond, I will bid you all a fun view with you. Good night, Baltimore. Be safe out there. Get vaccinated. And let's go O's. still here? It's over. Go home. Go.